You haven't heard anything yet. Um, I'm not Joel. I can't preach like he does. Um, so I need a manuscript. Um, but to the first question I asked you this morning, what do you think of when you hear the word faithful? This is not rhetorical. Preface. Loyal. Loyal. Absolutely, yeah. What else? A dog. You think of a dog? Maybe a little bit of cognitive uh, programming that's pushing you that direction. What else? Faithful. Reliable. That is great. Loyal. Trustworthy. I heard over here and at the table we were discussing. Um, If you were not in a church setting, what would faithful mean to you? Not cheating on your spouse, right? That's, that's the like, that's the beginning of what culture thinks of when they think of faithfulness. Um, so in the context of marriage, it most often refers to, you know, not sleeping around. But faithfulness in marriage, I would propose, is more than that. It's not just that you aren't cheating. It's also that you're doing things. It means that you're taking the time to spend with your partner. It means you're actively concerning yourself with the well-being of your partner. And it means that you're prioritizing their wants and needs and desires. And I think that that faithfulness should be the same thing we're talking about when we talk about faithfulness to God. It means not cheating on God, not following the idols that consume our culture. But it also means doing something. Matthew 6.24 is, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. It's not just what you don't do. It's also what you okay, do do. Any cheap laughs? Okay, awesome. Check, bucket list, third grade humor in a sermon. Got a couple laughs. We're good. Okay. Um, So in this scripture, you don't serve wealth. And in this scripture, you do serve God as your master. It's both don'ts and do's. Now in my marriage, the don'ts are a lot easier. We know the don'ts. We remain faithful to our partners by not cheating on them. That's the easier thing to remember. But do I remain faithful to my partner by doing the things that I should be doing? That's where I fail. And it's the same with God. The don't do's are easy. I don't steal. I don't kill. I don't commit adultery. I try not to bear false witness. It depends on how you define that. So we'll, we'll, we'll uh, set that one to the side. So I suppose I've done pretty well with the don'ts. But the do's require more effort. Love your enemy. Now, the easy reaction when I hear that scripture is to say, well, Jesus didn't really mean what he was saying, right? He didn't mean 
uh, like, I need to love someone who is actively seeking to harm me. I don't need to love the terrorist who actively wants to kill me. Is that what Jesus is actually saying? That I don't need to love the political nominees, whoever they will be, that I disagree with. I disagree. I think Jesus knew exactly what Jesus was saying. That's hard to do. Feed the hungry. Well, I pay my taxes, and that goes to help soup kitchens and food stamps and feeds a lot of people thanks to those taxes. So I'm sort of doing that one. Clothe the naked. I don't know about you. I haven't seen a lot of naked people around. Um, So I think we're doing pretty well on that one in this country. Um, Welcome the stranger. Um, I don't welcome my friends into my house. None of you have been to my house. (laughs) My parents don't come into my house when they're in Richmond. Um, So there's no way I'm welcoming a stranger into my house. Even someone who's trying to escape terrible war and seeking asylum. Visit the sick, yeah, sometimes I do that, you know, if it's someone I know and care about. Visit the imprisoned, not once. And this list is all from Matthew 25. What is it about these things? Jesus didn't say, give your money to some other organization so they will do these things for you. Jesus said, do them. What is it about them that we find so hard, or that I find so hard, maybe you don't, so hard to do the things we know we should, the instructions right there? I think it starts with a disconnect between knowing and living. So we know we should do it, but living it, that's the next step. So there's a disconnect between knowing and living. Let me, let me push this out a little further. Um, sometimes you can know, have so much knowledge about a topic that it makes it hard to actually enjoy the regular living of it. I'm in seminary. I learn lots about scripture and exegesis, but sometimes the simple pleasure of being present in worship is incredibly hard for me because I get hung up on some particular theological concept or I get hung up on the order of worship, that there wasn't a prayer of thanksgiving before the prayer of confession, and that the whatever, that I miss the simple pleasure of being in worship and communion with God and with each other. What does this have to do with faithfulness? One more example. Ernest Rutherford was a physicist. Anybody know who that is? It's a random name. All right, all right. Uh, Ernest Rutherford was a physicist. He was the individual who discovered that atoms were 99% empty, that they were essentially empty, that everything you see, hear, feel, touch, the floor, the stand, the paper, everything is essentially empty, 99%. There is so little of it that has anything in it. And so he's in bed the next morning, waking up, thinking about this discovery that he has made. 
thinking about the floor that is waiting for him to step onto it and how empty it is. And he becomes afraid to step onto the floor because he knows it's so empty that he's afraid he'll fall through it. His knowledge prevents him from living. Even though the floor has never failed him (laughs) once. The fear that captures him prevents him from trusting what has always been true. How many of you know trust exercises? Have y'all done them, the, the falling back? Maybe no kids running around right now because um, I'm setting mal- my mousetraps. Um, so there's a trust exercise that I've done before, and it involves mousetraps. Broken toes, hey, you know, that's a thing. Um, And so what it was, was we were uh, in a room and blindfolded and barefoot. And we were instructed to walk through the room with the guidance of someone else. That's faithfulness. (laughs) That's putting trust in someone else. Trust that no matter what I do, things will work out. That as I walk through the maze, things will be okay. That if I step on a mousetrap. That I won't be harmed. It's incredibly fear-inducing, unless you've seen what I just did. (laughs) Um, It's incredibly fear-inducing to know that you will be barefoot walking through set mouse traps. We can try it with rat traps later if you want. Um, <laughs> that might break a toe. Um, but this trust that we gain is something very powerful. But the fear of doing it. How many of you, if I just set them up and hadn't walked across them, would be willing to get barefoot and just walk across them? I asked someone to do it today, and they were rightfully timid and hesitant about walking across set mousetraps. You should be. It should put some fear in you. But the fear captures and prevents us from being faithful. I'm afraid of visiting people in prison. I am scared to invite strangers into my home. I'm afraid of giving someone a ride. I'm afraid of how someone might spend a dollar that I give them on the street. I'm I'm scared of saying what I really think God calls me to say from a pulpit because of how my brothers and sisters may react in the congregation. Fear doesn't prevent me from doing the things I shouldn't do, but it definitely keeps me from doing the things I should do. In our scripture today, we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So there are these guys under the rule of Babylonian king. So they're under a power that is outside themselves. Today's best example in my mind is Palestinian rule. Um, And they are serving as sort of advisors and positions of power under the king of Babylon in his court. And the king makes this statue that everyone has to bow down to. Everyone must worship, but they don't. And the king has them brought to him and asks, is it true? Is it true that you didn't do what I commanded? That you didn't bow down and worship the statue? And he tells them, I'm giving you another chance. When you hear the music, bow down and worship or I'm throwing you in the fire. And their response is bold and challenging. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. Now, this is the first time in Daniel that the name Nebuchadnezzar appears without his title, king. They're insulting him. But they go on. If you throw us in a fire, the God we serve can rescue us from roaring furnace and anything else you might cook up, O king. But even if God doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference, O king. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. In other words, they will be faithful and prioritize their relationship with God above their own well-being. They prioritize God above the king, above the ruling power of the nation. Surely they must have felt some fear, but they refuse to let it stop them. They will be faithful, ignoring fear of punishment and without a promise of reward. Their faithfulness is unconditional. To me, this is the goal of faithfulness. Being faithful not out of fear and not out of an expectation of reward. If we are only faithful because we expect a reward, we're preaching a prosperity gospel. What is love if you only love when you get what you want? So what do we do to be faithful to God? Let me put it this way. You consider it for yourself. And keep in mind that what I preach generally has more to do about my faith life than any faith life I see in you. I'm not trying to judge you. I am judging myself pretty harshly. Let me put it this way. Would you consider yourself faithful to your spouse if you paid attention to them one day, one hour, every week? This is what so many people in our culture do. Or, even if you spent more than one day a week with them, what if there were entire days where you didn't speak a word to your spouse and ignored them all day? Would you consider that being faithful to your spouse? How much time are you giving to the Creator and Redeemer and sustainer of the cosmos 
The one who calls you by name and calls you their own, they call you beloved and worthy and chosen. Now when you decide that you want to spend more time with this amazing and powerful being, this master of the universe. No, okay. (laughs) You need to decide how you want to spend that time. Clearly, we should be doing something, not just not doing other things. So doing, filling those needs in Matthew 25. But I think it starts with spiritual disciplines, with prayer and with Scripture. There are so many different spiritual disciplines and ways of praying out there. If one isn't working for you, try something else. And if you need help, I've got a book with me. I'd be happy to help you if you want to try something new. It's an excellent book on spiritual disciplines. But seek out help. There are lots of resources out there. But it starts with Scripture. I'm sure many of you have noticed that I pull out my phone just about every worship. I pull it out just about every class I'm in school. Because this is my Bible. When I pull it out, I hope you have a Bible on your phone as well. And if you don't, you should download one. Because I'm a big proponent of reading scripture on your phone. And here's why. I don't carry a Bible everywhere I go. But if you carry this, this is always with you. And when you have five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, in between a meeting or at a coffee house, you can sit down and read. There are devotionals on here. Everything. You've always got it with you. But we need to spend more time on God than just that little bit in Scripture. For me, my practice, the one that helps me the most, I'll invite you to try as well. It's a daily examine. Every day, I get up and I think about the previous day. And I think about what were the moments where I felt closest to God and what were the moments where I felt furthest from God. And it's not a judgment thing. It's just holding them up and lifting them into the light and trying to find out what ways am I being faithful and what ways am I not. And that means the world to me. It helps me see where God is working in the world around me and already present. It helps me see my failings. And most importantly, it makes sure that I'm prioritizing God. One last thing. I don't want you to think that these practices are meant for you to think that you're spending more time with God. God is always present with you. There is no way for you to spend more time with God. But they will increase your attention to the one who loves you more than anyone else or anything else in all of creation. Don't you want that kind of relationship? Amen.